Jarvis, drop my needle. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. Woo! That's an attention getter. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. Oh my God, he's an idiot. You know, of course, that you're out of your jurisdiction. Personally, I think you're an idiot. But that's the evidence in the car. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Always like to keep my audience riveted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. We spent a couple episodes talking about specific years in cinema, starting with 1977 and then going deep on 1996 in a blatant, sad attempt at seeming modern while still falling short by a couple of decades and revealing ourselves to once again be sad old guys trying to desperately cling to whatever small degree of coolness they once possessed. Sorry, I didn't mean for that to turn into a therapy moment, but I'm feeling much better now. And somehow also worse. Anyways, this time around, we're going to be talking about what has been called the greatest year in cinema, the year of our Lord, 1984. In this, episode 64, we came, we saw, we reviewed it. My name is Todd, and with me, as always, is a man who, well, he's a man. And I forgot to write this part. Crap. I knew I forgot something. Um, hang on. Just give me one second while I, while I do this. Um once. I've been grilling all weekend, so if you want to talk about how I'm on a grilling bender, we can do something like that <laughs> if, if you want. <clears throat> I made chicken and Italian sausage tonight. It was really good. Nice. I just made pulled chicken myself. Nice. Okay, here we go. Now, my name is Todd, and with me, as always, is a man who once grilled for 36 hours straight without sleep or a bathroom break. Just don't ask about the no bathroom break part. He is the Afa to my Sika. We always wind up on the better end of the head, but I give you the man they call Tim. Greetings and salutations, my friend. How are you? I am doing well, and uh, I, I do need to get this right out front. I need you to be nice because we have company with us this episode. We'll do. Oh. Will do. Oh, I, I, I actually, I should be saying that about myself. Our guest this week is Mel Barrett, a novelist, screenwriter, and director who spent more time obsessing over celluloid than either of us has spent thinking of, well, pretty much anything. She also happens to be my co-host for Script Heads, a new podcast coming soon that will focus on screenwriting and the process of going from script to screen. Welcome to Free Range Idiocy, Mel. Hello, oh. hello, hello. Obsessed. That's um, that's pretty much it. That's all you had to say, really, was obsessed for me. <laughs> well, I, I, liked, I tried to nail that down, you know? Um, now, before we get too deep into uh, the normal show here, I, I always need to ask, Tim, can you name the tag team? Uh, Afa and Sika, that would be the Wild Samoans. I definitely gave you a softball lob this week because we've got business to take care of. So <laughs> you got And that you didn't one. want to make me look bad in front of the guests, so I thank you, sir. <laughs> well, I try and do that. And I've been watching a lot of... I, like the other night, we binged like four or five episodes of Young Rock, so I got a lot of the Wild Samoans in my life that I wasn't ah, expecting nice. this weekend. Wow. Nice. This is all great so. to me, but... <laughs> That's all right. It is, you know what? It is. Mo it is for most people. That's fine. Um, so uh, why don't we kick it right in here, sir? What, uh, what do we got for the week in geek? The week in geek. So funky. Uh, well, for the week in geek, I, I have found uh, some some real treasures. Uh, we we've we've had over the last you know several episodes discussions around 
the wonder that is rumors and the rumor mongering that happens yes. uh, for the various brands that we enjoy, whether it be Marvel, whether it be Star Wars or otherwise. And, uh, you know, these these first two are, are literally based on one line from some person who I don't know. So I just thought I would bring these up <laughs> because why not? You know? Um, wow. Wild speculation at its best. Yes, indeed. So the first one uh, comes from, I think both of these are from We've Got it, We've Got This Covered.com. You know, th- this I think will be our primary competitor, uh, Uncle Todd, when it comes to our r- rumormongers.com site we keep talking about. Wait, can um, I call you more, Uncle Todd as well? Oh, sure. Sure, go right Absolutely. ahead. Absolutely. I didn't know. All, I didn't know this was an option. All right, I didn't know this was yeah. an option. I'm going to oh, use that. Please okay, do. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it, now, my question is: Do you think that is is we got this covered.com more New York Post or New York Times? Because I'm failing more New York Post here. I would. I would concur. I would concur. Okay. Good. More tabloid. Uh, but, but basically, tabloid. the the rumor here is from uh, insider Daniel Reichman, who I have no idea what this person <laughs> does or why anyone is posting anything that he said, unless he's someone you know well connected into the Marvel universe. I don't know. But what he is claiming is that as we you know venture deeper, uh, you know, there's more content coming out from Marvel now. Uh, now that we're we're slowly kind of rising from from the ashes of of uh, the pandemic, but we're seeing. Uh, some more content and that uh, the Infinity Stones may be making a return to the franchise. Um, hmm. This is interesting and concerning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> interesting in the sense that you know, there in some ways there was kind of a hole left in after Endgame where the stones were meant to kind of you know hold reality together and. There is the stone. Well, Thanos blew them all up, so I'm not entirely sure what that does to reality. Um, but well, it kind of does explain what's been going on lately, honestly. Well, that's true. That's true. It's a, little, a little close to home, actually. Now <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> I'm going to go to the movies to escape. I don't want to. This is like watching the news. I don't need this. So uh, so that's the interesting part. The concerning part is, well, they just wrapped up a 22 film arc that was really based on these Infinity Stones. And do we really need to go back to that well one more time? I don't know. So I was kind of looking forward to this next phase of Marvel being, you know, disconnected from that and, and kind of going in a different direction. But uh, but that is the rumor. Uh, so I don't know. Thoughts, sir? Well, cons- considering who who knows who this person is. I Daniel mean, Reichman. Like, oh, well, that's very nice. I'm sure that's terribly important to his family. But who was he? Like, is he like this, the third special assistant to Mr. Downey? I mean, wh- who, I, where I, was this guy in the hierarchy is what I want to know. This is what this is why I pulled this in. I read this and I'm like, you, you're literally just throwing a name out there and taking whatever this person says and making an article out of it. It's incredible. So I mean, at I least they made they had they they even if it is made up, at least they had the decency to come up with a halfway decent made up name. It wasn't like Joe Smith. Yeah, you know <laughs> that's true. That's true. Add, give me a little texture to this thing. Okay, right on. But but, but uh, thoughts I, on if they bring back the Infinity Stone? You know, if it would D, if it were DC and Warner Brothers. Oh, you better believe that would happen. Totally. That's yeah. a that's such a, a DC Warner Brothers move. Mm-hmm. Marvel? Mm, no. Yeah. No. If they do, it would be it'll be like a peripheral reference to kind of as they do fill in the blanks and add in some shading here and there yeah. and just make, you know, give you a richer tapestry of what's going on. It ain't going to be like, "Oh, by the way, now it's 22 more movies about getting the Infinity Stones again." Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. No. So, nah. yeah, I think we'll call that one the jabroni. So, 
<laughs> I think that's good. We'll just preemptively say that one's which, just so which, Mel, false. Which, that, Mel, that's our version of true and false. The false okay. is we, we call it the jabroni, which is a wrestling term, so sorry about that. Um, I actually I actually knew that. I think I know that term, and when you said it, I understood what you meant, so I'm with you. I'm just I'm just listening. I'm just taking it all in right now. <laughs> Excellent. She, Excellent. She's with us, but it's mostly under protest. <laughs> Hey, I am getting I am dumber by the moment. <laughs> <laughs> the podcasting, you're in a podcasting igloo. That's I how am. you have to think Oh, about. yeah, that's right. You're right. It's an igloo, not a cocoon. Indeed. <laughs> uh, our, our second one, also from We Got This Covered, high, high quality rumors. Tell you something. You're suspect. This time coming from a leaker and YouTuber named Mike Zero. So, Mike Zero, we're, we're crediting you on this one. Uh, Since when has Leaker become like a job title? When did that become Leaker. a thing? Since Influencer? I don't know. <laughs> I know, but it just sounds like a, it sounds like a medical condition that you should probably yeah. have addressed. That's a bodily function. That's not a <laughs> title. Oh, you, my you goodness. Get, you've got to get that patched up. I mean, that's not good. That's not healthy. And at the, <laughs> at the best, you're ruining your hardwood floors, really. I mean, mm. you've got to do something there. Yes. So what actually what that's this... what it is. Daniel Reichman is this dude's like official mop person. That's what <laughs> that's how these two are tied together. Imagine oh, if Lord. Daniel Reichman is listening to this podcast right now. You guys are gonna get some angry emails. Yeah. Yeah. And and oh, uh, and they can send those to Tim <laughs> at freebangagency.com. There it is. There it is. <laughs> that is our so, complaints department. This this second rumor is uh, around Star Wars and uh, is about Disney reportedly. Now I, I don't understand the terminology here, but I'll I'll just explain it. Uh, is reportedly developing a reboot of one of the core Star Wars storylines. Got a bad feeling about this. Uh, around uh, basically the rumor is that uh, Mandalorian showrunner John Favreau has the reins of a project which will see Daisy Ridley's character Ray give birth to a Force-sensitive son. Uh, and he will be known as Cade Skywalker and will be conceived in a manner similar to Anakin in which, well, the Force decided to have a baby with someone. So um, <laughs> I don't know what to think about this. Uh, I'm not quite sure how they're calling this a reboot because it seems like an extension or, or a continuation of, of what they established in the post-sequel era. But this seems to be uh, a rumor of, of things to come uh, potentially with, uh, with the Ray character. Hmm. Thoughts? Can I ask for a clarification here? Please. Are this, okay, this rumor came from the leaker? This rumor came from the leaker. Then the leaker doesn't know what reboot means. I just want to put that yeah. out there. I, okay. I'm, I would agree with that, yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, glad we clarified. I think this is, uh, I'm going to give this the very rare and not very coveted triple hogwash. <laughs> um, nice. First of all, because nice. as, as Mel so aptly pointed out, this is not a reboot. It's some sort of weird mutant version of like three different things that I don't think that anybody It really almost understands. sounds like fan fiction even. Yeah. Oh, it's totally. Yeah. The second being, John Favreau is not a dumb human being. No, <laughs> and, and this sounds like a really dumb idea. Well, and, and, uh, and this works against some other rumors that have come around that he he was actually pitching an idea to Disney to try to do like what they're doing with Marvel with like the multiverse and try to do mm -hmm. something with a completely different timeline, like almost like rewrite everything so mm -hmm. that 
the post sequel trilogy is like one timeline and then there's like this uh, or, or it's like what they did with Star Trek you know there's like these two timelines that yeah. you kind of work off of which I don't know if I like that either it's like you know what just let's go create something new and different and not Skywalker oriented and let's see where that takes us so yeah that's what I'd like I'd- to see I think the second point, the the dumbness for me comes from taking one of the like the whole immaculate conception that we're going to just that from the prequel, and then hey, guess what? That was kind of dumb. Let's do it again, because <laughs> that always goes well. Yes, it's definitely not going to be dumb the second time. This time wink, for wink, sure. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, no, I'm, I'm I could make several jokes there. I'm not going to because I'm I'm working on filters. Um, <laughs> so there, there's the dumb part. The third part is like what you were saying, Tim. Favreau doesn't even like some of these characters because he's yeah. already kind of said that he wants to go in a different direction. So why in the heck would you then say, oh, by the way, I want this character who I don't like to have a kid, and then we're going to continue on that on that line? Mm-hmm. It just it makes no sense on any front. No, it None. doesn't. It doesn't. I think it really comes down to who's writing the script and how Favre, like what kind of relationship he has to the studio for those to like answer those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. not going to be able to make decisions like that based on whoever the who the creator is and the script and the studio. So it seems very like far fetched. I don't know much about. The, I haven't seen the Mandalorian. Don't kill me, but. Um, it seems very far-fetched story-wise and industry rumor-wise that that would be the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I will say this. Like, Lucasfilm, Star Wars, Kathy Kennedy is kind of its own little weird part of of movies and also the Disney, like, conglomerate mm. monster. Because, like, they were they were going to handle hand Rian Johnson, uh, you know, knives out Rian, Rian Johnson, because <laughs> <laughs> no one's talking about him as, you know, the last Jedi, Rian Johnson. They were going to hand him a tre- uh, uh, another trilogy before he even he even made the movie yeah right. from this trilogy they were already like putting that out there and there's still even a night like a vague rumor that that's still that even though there was a lot of dissatisfaction kind of apparently with the direction he took that 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 could still happen which i think is just bizarre but there and then favreau does seem to like have kathy kennedy's ear and and have a lot of leeway and sway in that area right now and it just seems like if you if kathy kennedy kind of likes you you're going to get a lot of mileage. That's the only thing. Like, I feel like because Star Wars is such a cash cow for Disney, that yeah. Disney is sort of like, all right, we'll let Kathy do it because Kathy was almost like handed. Well, he, she was. She was handed the reins directly from George Lucas. Yeah. So I don't know. That that's I, I don't not to disagree with you, Mel, but it just. No, I mean, like, I don't know enough about weird, it. You know? you know what I mean? I'm just saying, like, coming when I'm listening to it, I'm trying to think of how this rumor would have come about and where it starts and if there's a script already and if the studio has a hold of it, you know, like all that stuff. So what you're saying is probably true. I'm just coming at it from thinking that it it doesn't sound true to me based Mm. on how a script gets to screen. But, you know, what do I know? I don't know about that universe. You know what I mean? You know what? Basically given kind of the industry process is what you're saying. Yeah. I I mean, I see what you're saying. Favreau swings a lot of weight um, wherever he is. And if he's been given the the reins, so to speak, from another creator or from George Lucas himself, then he probably has a lot of sway in what's going to happen. But there has to be if if that's a that's a detailed rumor about a storyline. So there's already got to be a script. There's already got to be at least a treatment. And who, where'd that come from? That's where I would want to figure out, oh man, I'm just really getting a little too deep into this, but that's where I would want to figure out 
where the rumor came from because in order for it to be that detailed there's got to be a kernel of truth to it but at the same time it seems so far-fetched that maybe there isn't yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I think this might be this might be the, someone who wants to who desperately wants to pitch this script. Like it is fan fiction, mm-hmm. and yeah. someone desperately wants yeah. to pitch, and this is their way of trying to get it out, like <laughs> gin up some like. It's kind of smart if that, if that's the case. It's really smart, but yeah, I yeah. Unless it just ticks off Favreau, and then you know, right. game over, man. Game over, man. It's game over. And and with regard to the the conception of the sun, apparently they're kind of working off of what happened in Rise of. Skywalker, you know, the idea that Kylo Ren and her have become kind of intertwined and so it would be almost like I guess he would be the father sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I it it just seems uh, I don't know. <laughs> that is just so bizarre. Just that just this so I now I have so many questions. Like is the kid gonna look like Adam Driver? Oh good. What's <laughs> what's gonna happen? Uh, I mean Oh, this just—it's so weird. So uh, well, weird. we'll uh, we'll file that under. Uh, let's 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 forget about that one for a while. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it's that's, probably going to be five years until it's made anyway. So uh, right, <laughs> you right. can revisit that's it. A, that's a big old file that we've got going with that name on it. <laughs> it is. It is. And finally, uh, you know, not so much a a one line rumor from uh, someone with credentials such as Leaker, but. Um, <laughs> Basically, uh, Ewan McGuire, Ewan McGuire, Ewan McGuire, uh, Ewan McGuire. <laughs> <laughs> I knew exactly who you were talking about that. <laughs> I have a bad feeling about this. Uh, this comes from Cinema Blend is uh, basically confirming that for the Obi-Wan series, uh, he is he is training and he's eating those Wheaties because apparently one of the one of the criticisms and Todd's going to love this. One of the criticisms from the sequel trilogy was apparently that fans were not happy with the lack of technical elegance of the sequel series lightsaber battles. Um, <laughs> like that was the biggest problem. kidding me? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, that tracks. It tracks. Come on. Oh, gosh. Once again, Star Wars fans are just like the worst. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Seriously, there's just no way to please these people ever. I I, I just couldn't get through that without cracking up because it's just like this is what this is what we were criticizing the movie over. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for this show to come out. And then and then people are going to be are going to be crapping all over at you and just because, oh, it's not good. He's not as good as he was. There'll be something. There will be something. Oh, my gosh. But Ewan is training (sighs) hard. And for that, we thank him and tip our cap to him. And that, my friends, is the Week in Geek. Who actually eats Wheaties anymore? Anyone? Really? Not I. Are they even making it's, Wheaties? It's not on the diet. Sorry. Too many carbs. Ah, I remember I remember. I've bought a total of one boxes of Wheaties in my life, and I might have eaten half of it because I was like, I'm going to eat Wheaties. I'm going to you know, be healthy. And then I ate them. I'm like, this tastes like crap. <laughs> the most bland cereal devised by man. <laughs> it's like corn chips that have gone bad or something. Oh, it's just like gosh. flakes of like cardboard that you're supposed to pour milk on and act Sawdust. like you enjoy. Yeah. Yep. The only thing, only thing worse than that is grape nuts. Ugh. Ugh. Which apparently the, I learned there was a shortage of during the pandemic. What? Because <laughs> they were probably using it for building material or something. <laughs> That's the only thing they're good for. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, going back a couple months, I believe uh, there was a shortage on grape nuts. So mm. probably because they last for fifty years in the closet. <laughs> yeah, <It's> the same. <laughs> no one needs to buy. Yeah, right. There's all the preppers getting them. They get exactly. baked beans, cans of baked beans, and grape nuts. <laughs> Oh boy! That's and that's, that's why and, that's, and those are those are going to be the angry people when they come out of hiding because they're just going to be so mad from eating grape nuts, just like <laughs> rage incarnate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if I am legend actually happens, it'll be the grape nuts. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's, that'll be. Will Smith is very angry and just you know, grape. The thing is, I don't even know if grape nuts would help you with like fiber or anything because they just I don't think they break down, so they're just collecting. Yeah, no. Of you. You're just like, like a, after a while, you're just a brick. <laughs> <laughs> I've been pounded up for a year and a half. I've got to go out and shoot me some zombies. <laughs> oh, man. Well, now that we've completely taken a left turn on this, hey, let's talk about some movies from 1984. Indeed. This uh, I, I remember reading. This is this is the greatest year in cinema ever, and uh, we can kind of go through this and, and maybe go maybe we'll decide yay or nay on this but we're gonna pick uh our top five movies from 1984 then we have a couple of special mentions or you know runners up and then some surprises so we will be able to kind of go through all of these so uh, um and just before we go uncle todd so do you have some good surprises lined up given your track record from the last couple you know times? what <laughs> you just love just spilling all the tea with all the guests don't you yeah i do I, so i mean i like is mel aware of some of your selections from uh... i mean did you guys see my selections because i think mine are really at the bottom of the barrel here uh no no <laughs> <laughs> so when we did 1977, I was I I just I went I went like to the fifth page and started there trying to find surprises, and I went solely based on titles, and I managed to pick out some of like the shadiest movies you could ever <laughs> select. Like one of them was Wanda the Wicked Warden, which I'm like, oh, this has got to be something kind of just like goofy. I'm like, no, that was pretty much just like a you know borderline adult movie. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> With a title <laughs> like that. It. Well, yeah, true. Yeah. I should have seen yeah. that one coming. But then, but then it turned out like three out of five of them were all like that. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Another well, one like this. Then, then the next uh, one was like some Burt Reynolds movie where – I don't know. They, it oh was like, yeah, it was like it was like Burt Reynolds and Nick Nolte or something, and something then, like that. Oh no, it was uh, Chris Christopherson, I think. And then yeah. the poster was oh my gosh, it was it was very suggestive. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I don't think the romance is between Burt and the girl here. I think so. I'm I'm, I don't know. I'm I'm dying on the other end because he has absolutely no idea that. <laughs> I hadn't read any are. of the descriptions. I just picked. I just picked. You know, titles. And that's uh, where my preparation just bit me in the butt. It was. It was funny. Anyway, uh, sorry. I, we we digress. So, we digress. There's there's my embarrassing tale for the evening. Oh no, wait. There's probably several more coming as well. <laughs> so uh, let's run these down uh, fifth to first, and uh, let's start off with our guest first. So Mel, what do you got? Well, uh, you. Your number five spot for 1984. Um, I I have one that could have gone into special mentions or surprises, but it's really one of my favorites, uh, "Romancing the Stone." Um, starring Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas and Danny DeVito and Holland Taylor. It's a stellar cast. It's an adventure movie. Do, do either of you know it? I'm aware of it. I have yeah, not seen I remember, it. Yeah, I remember okay. seeing that. So, now, is this, this was the first one, right? And then the second one was Jewel of the Nile, right? 
There was a sequel. Uh, that's think. a good question. Yeah, I think Jewel of the Nile was the second one because this one was so popular. They were like, oh, we got to keep this one going. But it's a, it's basically about mm-hmm. this like uh, romantic adventure writer who has to go into the Colombian jungle to save her sister who's been uh, killed. And this mercenary, um, what's his name, Michael Douglas, has to get her through the jungle to try to get to her sister. And I think Danny DeVito plays like sort of the middleman where he's accepting money and they end up on this big treasure hunt and it's it's amazing. It's a love story. It's it's fun. I I think it's better than Indiana Jones. Don't shoot me, but it's it's it was it's my top five. Hmm. Yeah, right on. Very nice. I do remember that being. I mean, Michael Douglas has had a really good career. When you come down to it, like some mm-hmm. really he ruled the eighties. I think like some of the films. I mm-hmm. mean, he had so many leading man parts in the eighties. This one was probably Romancing the Stone was probably a little too old for me to see when I was a kid because I would have been. I don't know, 10, eight or 10 there. Um, eight, I would have been eight. And, but I remember watching it on repeat. It was so fascinating to me. I think because in Indiana Jones, the, the story was focused on Indiana. And the reason I'm comparing it is because it's, it's kind of the same storyline, but Mm. the romancing the stone had a female lead and that always made me, and she was funny and she had this big transformation from being this sort of dowdy writer to this sort of badass by the end of the movie and she was like taking control so i thought it was pretty amazing when i was a kid nice yeah i can see that yeah so tim what do you got sitting at the number five spot uh for me the last starfighter and Mm -hmm. uh there's going to be uh another movie that kind of falls into this genre of of video games turned into some sort of storytelling (laughs) device but But I got to tell you, as a kid in '84 playing Atari, this this one, or, or not even Atari, but you know, when when like arcade going, games at that when, point, when yeah. arcade games were big. This was just such a great, you know, story to just kind of like, you know, just just tap the collective, you know, sci-fi sort of fan base where, where you know, where, where you have folks who, who grew up with these video games. And, um, and and that was just such a huge thing at that time. And to turn it into a, yeah, you, you know, you beat this video game. Now you're going to, you know, we're going to hire you to come and fight our war for us <laughs> yeah. basically was 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 the story there um it's all and, about child it's a child army like this is not actually a, a feel-good story when you think about it yeah yeah <laughs> but uh but no it, it was it was just a fun it was a fun sci-fi story you know it, in some ways when you look back and you watch it the special effects um weren't the best but they but it was well, still just yeah. it, it was fun you know it, it was a fun movie and you know it just had this kind of relatable story of of people you know of, of, of a kid who just gets pulled into this world you know through his video game prowess and uh and and i just think it just tapped a collective sort of just just the the times that it was in you know just seemed to tap tap the right right sort of uh, interest for the fan base so this was mm-hmm. a big one for me i really enjoyed watching it and you know the the uh various uh i'm trying to think of the actors uh robert preston was great in it i forget who the um i gotta i don't remember the character names and who they were specifically but but the uh yeah i can't find the the co-pilot yeah whoever was was his partner was 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 really funny you know that 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 person was really funny and stuff so it was you know it, it had some beats of star wars in it but it really was just kind of its own thing and it never i I don't think there was ever a sequel to it um but it was it was it was just a fun movie so that was my number five there is talk of a reboot of that i've 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 seen a couple things about that but that's probably one of those things that like any property from the 80s 
gets that rumor there, at least there. once every yeah. five years. Like, yeah. oh, they're going to remake this. Yeah. And you just say, dear God, no. <laughs> Please, yeah, no, I'm hoping they don't remake Goonies. That's the one I just want. I just want them to leave it alone. I just need yeah. them to oh, yeah. stay away from it. And I just I hope they don't try to do it. That is, uh, and that's prime fodder too. Yeah, I could see that happening. Just get a bunch of uh, new kids. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, like the, the strange thing, Stranger Things kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it it might happen. The only one that's really safe is Back to the Future because apparently those guys have it like in their will that there will never be any more or remakes of this. Like it Good. has to be signed off by like. I'm pretty sure it was. It's a writer and director. They both need to agree on it. They've both mm. like, nope, ain't happening, and yeah. it's in the will. So no. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so for me at number five, if you've ever been in a band or a musician of any kind, this has to be on the list somewhere. This is Spinal Tap. I yep. mean, it invented the rockumentary. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, just so brilliant. I mean, Rob Reiner <laughs> as Marty DeBerge and just uh, I, I, I don't know what else to say. It was a. It's just an amazing, amazing, amazing flick. And so, so many universal jokes came out of this movie too. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. well, and it spawned the whole mockumentary genre yep. as well, which is going strong right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. and the like the whole Stonehenge thing, and then you know the bass player can't get out of the cocoon, <laughs> and such a good movie. Oh, uh, so many great lines in there, and you know. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So, I mean, that has to be on the list. Mm. Has to be. Yeah, for sure. Let's uh, let's circle back here. Uh, Mel, what you got for number four? Uh, number four is a very personal one for me for many bad reasons. But uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, Welcome back to the therapy part of the show. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's OK. So it's I think I was. Yeah, I was eight. Again, they let me watch this movie. I don't know why they let me watch these serious? movies. Oh, yeah. I watched this movie. I, I was very persuasive when I was a kid. And they were like, oh, okay, all right, fine. You want to watch this movie? Go watch this movie. And so I did. I watched it in the middle of the day so I wouldn't be too scared. But this movie, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, got inside of my brain and Mm. terrified me. To this day, I'm still, I can't watch it. I'm terrified of Freddy Krueger. I love horror films. So this is one that really just sticks with me. I won't get into the, I won't go too in depth into the, like my fear as a child, but it, it involved me not being able to even live in my room for six months because wow. I was terrified. I lived in the basement. That didn't help anything, but um, I was going to say, that's, that's where Freddie lived, wasn't it? Yeah. And on the other, well, I guess I'll tell you a little bit on the other side of my room, there was this really old wood stove and I was convinced that his glove was in there because the, a title oh. sequence of the movie shows, yep. you know, do you remember? They show you how he made his glove with the knives in it. And oh I gosh. I couldn't. And then there's that part in the movie when she's running up the stairs and the, stand, the stairs turn to goo and she starts going through. And so I would like leave my room every day and I would sprint as hard as I could up the stairs because I was trying to chase trying to get away from the stairs turning to goo. But long story short, I ended up sleeping for about six months in my parents' bedroom on the floor at the end of their bed. And one night I woke up, they had this giant water bed because it was the 80s. And one night I woke up and I looked out the window and do you guys remember the firefighter, hey, there's a kid in here stickers that go on the window? Mm-hmm. They were like yeah, oval yeah. shaped. I looked up and I saw this oval shape. I thought it was Freddie looking in the window at me. I freaked out, jumped up. I'm not sure what I grabbed. I grabbed some kind of weapon, whatever weapon I could find. And I jumped up on the waterbed and I punctured the hell out of it trying to fight oh. Freddie. 
and I almost drowned my parents. And (laughs) I I punctured their waterbed. I drained the waterbed. It was like three o'clock in the morning. Everyone was freaking out. It was a huge mess. So that was the first experience. I carried it with me until I was in my teens and we started going to haunted houses because that was a fun thing to do. And I just remember going through a haunted house. They were like, the actors aren't going to touch you. Don't worry about it. And I got to the back of the line and someone grabbed my shoulder. I looked over and I saw the, I saw the, the knives and I knew it was Freddie. And I just started punching. I just started punching and I broke an actor's nose and I was 17 years old. They had to shut the haunted house down. So this movie lives inside of me to this day. And if Freddy Krueger ever comes up to me on the street, he's in so much trouble. Gonna put the hurt on him. I will. I, I was. So. A ma- it's a mess. Yeah, it's a mess for me. I can't. Wow. But I still love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Of course, I love it. If anything, if a movie can make you feel that way, that's mm. art. Yep. Yep. That was a journey right there. Yeah. Sorry. Wow. I talk fast. You know what? <laughs> that's that's it. That's the show is over. I got. I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing after that. <laughs> Hey, you asked me on. That's right. <laughs> oh my goodness! And the funny thing is, so then the waterbed wasn't Ugh. there another in one of the sequels to Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street. Oh yeah, wasn't and it was like it was Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp got sunk into the waterbed. Oh uh, <laughs> well, I think he turned out all right after. Yeah, well. Things things have turned out all right for, for yeah. Him he since he got then. sunk into the waterbed. It was a mess. Oh wow. my gosh! Yep. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I have a big imagination, so. <laughs> well, it, well and the funny thing is so now did you see that on cable or was that like a rental no that was a rental we went we went down to i lived in nottingham at the time so we went down to like the lee traffic circle yep. and to like i think the grocery store and i was like i'm getting this one and they let me oh yeah remember remember when they used to have like the video rentals like in the grocery store yeah it was right next to the liquor section. store yep yeah <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I just think about cable because that's like back in the eighties, I would just be home or whatever, and you 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 had cable if you if you had HBO or anything like you'd you'd have a chance to see some of these movies. It was almost like streaming today. Mm-hmm. We're like worried about kids, which is kind of funny because when everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, what are the kids going to see online?" I'm like, <laughs> "My parents had like Showtime and HBO, HBO when I was growing up." Dark, <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> like yeah. some of the stuff I stumbled across, where I'm like, "What." the yeah. heck is going on yeah <laughs> oh my gosh yeah all right well uh tim what do you got at number four uh so number four is the terminator uh this yes. was kind of a, a a quintessential uh almost a a genre defining sort of movie kind of winding together time travel with uh some you know just just scary looking robots and and just this 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 sense in the movie of how this uh how the antagonist is just you know not stoppable it it was just it was an incredible movie Mm -hmm. um now i did not see this you know in 1984 as as uh, a young boy i saw this later on but even still first time i saw it i i was just uh just entranced with the first of all i enjoyed the story from a sci-fi perspective i thought it was a really interesting concept you know where where you have the the conquering you know the conquering machines you, mm. you know basically t- using time travel to kind of further secure their you know their position and and to ensure that there isn't a human resistance by taking out the mother of of you know the one that will eventually take them i mean it's just it was insane but it was just kind of a interesting you know kind of sci-fi story to tell where where you have that and then you just have the weirdness of 
of course, uh, I forget his name, Kyle something or other, goes back to defend her. And, Kyle Reese. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kyle Reese. Thank you. And and just the strangeness there. Well, okay. Well, I came back and uh, I'm the dad. So yeah, <laughs> this is kind of like okay. And um, we all followed it though. We followed it. We understood we it. We accepted it. It, it was fine. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's a real yes. chicken and the egg sort of thing at that point. Like, well, yes. wait a minute. But uh, but but this one was a career maker for for Arnold and uh, and you know the way he played the Terminator. I mean, it, it was just this this relentless, you know, constantly you know just pushing through, enduring, and and continuing to to seek out his his prey was just it, it was a little terrifying. You know, I mean, it was it mm-hmm. was a really really well done movie, and and just uh, you know just just was a, a like I said it it kind of stands as I mean I, I shouldn't say genre defining i mean it's sci-fi but it just there's certain movies that are like tent poles you know like you just go mm-hmm. to and like this is foundational this with this told yeah. a very unique and interesting story and and that that one just stands as that for me so that, that is my number four well so uh for me number four is the natural which uh i i just i've always loved this movie and number one, I mean, the cast in this movie is one of those things that you look at. And when I first saw this as a kid, just didn't really appreciate the fact that you have Robert Redford, Robert Duvall, Glenn Close, Kim Basinger, Wilford Brimley, Barbara Hershey, Robert Prosky. And that's just like the the first few names that come up, like just a really overall solid cast mm-hmm. of really good actors that you just you don't see that. And uh, I, I mean, I just love the story of the guy who is able to throw three pitches past Babe Ruth, you know, or, well, Babe Ruth in the story sense, because I don't think they call him Babe Ruth, but it's a, uh, what do they call him? I can't remember right now. But uh, just overall, just a great, a, a great story. And of course, when you get to the end and he, you know, he cracks the homer up into the lights and you get the, you know, fanfare for the common man and all. I mean, just the whole thing is just one of those larger than life kind of stories that I was like, yes, this is to me, this is one of those things where I'm like, yes, this is what is magical about movies is you, you just get lost in this story for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And it's just to this day, I will I will watch this movie at the drop of a hat. Just a very well made movie overall. And and of course, Wilford Brimley's like grumpy manager was always a favorite, too. I just I love that. <laughs> the fact that he, he hated like the water fountain and he this guy just keeps cranking these hits out. And he he he's so distracted that he actually goes over and drinks out of the water fountain, even though the water is terrible. That, that That's like one of those things that gets added in. Like he's I'll drink the water because I'm just so amazed by this. Just one of those little things that always stands out to me. But just really always love that movie, you know. Nice. It's a good and, one. And uh, let's uh, let's snake back here to Mel at number three. Uh, number three, I have Footloose because you know that's quintessential '80s. That movie mm. meant so much to me. I mean, how can you not love Footloose? Are you guys, I don't think you guys have it on your list, but I have it on mine because I was really uh, I loved dancing as a kid. The mu- the soundtrack is amazing. Kevin Bacon, how can you not love him? And then I mean, it's a repressed society that just needs to dance. Mm. I mean, that storyline, can you imagine mm. pitching that? Like this whole, this whole town can't dance. That's the whole movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it's a whole town that's not allowed to dance and the hero's going to come in and he's going to show them how to dance. To me, that was like, that was my little like eighties kid heart right there. That's all mm. I wanted. So that one, uh, that one is very close to home and I love the soundtrack. I listen to the soundtrack today. Anytime I'm driving, I'm always listening to Footloose. Now that's, so that's my number three. That's a good soundtrack too. 
It's a great soundtrack, yeah. Um, Kenny Loggins. I mean, in the dance sequences that I don't know if you guys remember, but the dance sequence in the in like the mill, the barn. Mm-hmm. The, I don't know. I don't know if it's a mill factory or a barn, but he's like practicing. He, it's where he works, mm-hmm. and he has this like gigantic dance scene, and it's just it's so athletic. Everything's amazing about it. I don't know. I just love it. I love it. I love it. Also, the cast: Diane Weiss, uh, Kevin Bacon. I can't remember the dad right now. John Lithgow. Yeah, John Lithgow. Thank you. I mean, John Lithgow. Yeah. So good. So good. Anyway, that's my three. Yeah, I mean, you get you get Kevin Bacon and Kenny Loggins together. Like, that is like two <laughs> tent poles of the 80s right there. Because right? Kenny Loggins did like so many 80s soundtracks and did them well. I mean, so well, yeah. No shade on the dude. Like, those are really great soundtracks, great songs that he wrote for those movies. Yep. Some bops for oh, sure. Oh, that's a. That's a great poll, but I I just want to point this out. Like this is, the, I had this down as like this is kind of the year of the dance movie because I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys noticed this. We have Footloose, Breakin', yep, but then Breakin' Two Electric Boogaloo came out <laughs> in the same year. How yeah. did that happen? Yeah, and don't forget Rhinestone. I don't know if you guys know that one, but Rhinestone as well. Oh, not really a oh, dancing okay. movie, but a music a music movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that Dolly Parton, Sylvester Dolly Parton, Sloan. Sylvester Stallone? I got oh it covered. Gosh. It's coming up. It's coming up. Don't worry. Okay, I'll, I won't say anymore. I just I remember the Mel's got the cover. poster. I saw the graphic for that as I'm going through the list. I'm like, that happened. Yep. It happened. It happened so hard. It happened. Yeah. <laughs> it happened I, like have, I have it on VHS. I'm just letting you know I have it on VHS. So. Oh, there we go. Now that's a classic. <laughs> Yep. I'm surprised you didn't go for Betamax for the you know for the better uh, whatever I, Betamax I, is better. I, I have it on VHS because I bought it in the '80s, so I just kept it. Oh, there yep. you go. Yep. Nice. All right, Tim. So what do you got here at number three? Uh, my number three is Red Dawn. Uh, and, and, and before I get into why, I I, I just want to read this off real quick. Patrick Swayze, C. Thomas Howell, Leah Thompson, Charlie Sheen, Jennifer yeah. Grey. Harry Dean Stanton, Powers Booth. I mean, mm-hmm. th- that's a loaded lineup right there. It's <laughs> yeah. incredible. Yeah, that I mean, it's incredible. not quite twenty-seven Yankees, but it's it's not that far off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when when you consider where all those actors went, you know, uh, you know, as the eighties progressed and and into the nineties too. I mean, all of them just had some, you know, measure of of success later on in in one form or another. And and uh, you know, of course, Leah Thompson. The following year, she would be in Back to the Future, and you know, just just an incredible lineup. But this this movie number three for me, again, this was not one I saw in nineteen eighty four, but when I did see it a few years later, um, freaked me out. <laughs> it freaked me out big time. Now wait a it minute, was, was it? Um, was there a specific scene or moment? Because I'm curious if it's the same one as me. The scene at the school. So yes. when the yep. invasion first happens and the teacher is, is running through his lesson and he's kind of walking to the back of the classroom by the windows as these paratroopers are falling. He's like, what is going on? And then he kind of walks mm-hmm. out there and just all the chaos that ensues after that was just like, what the heck is going on? And and it was one of those like you know mel i don't know if there's a term for this or 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 if, or if you have any you know maybe you have a perspective on this but mm-hmm. there's just some movies this happened to me with independence day as well there's some movies you go to and they're just you're seeing something you really haven't seen before and done in in a really you know the storytelling is being done in kind of an effective way that it kind of just sits with you afterwards you know mm-hmm. like you're kind of like reeling from it a little bit sure. and i remember with this like that's how i felt it was like uh, you know, in the 80s, 
there was of course the cold war tensions and all that sort of thing and right. so you're kind of watching this like this could actually happen <laughs> you yeah know? And it was just it was freaky um mm-hmm. and and you know to see it play out and and uh, you know i i really uh I, I i don't mean to say i enjoy the ending and that it's you know it brings me joy but but i i like artistically the way they did the ending where you you have that kind of moment between you know as as patrick swayze's carrying his brother um who is dead off and and he comes face to face with this this soldier this russian soldier who or actually not russian i'm sorry i think he might be cuban you know who realizes and sees you know the the effects of of what's been going on and you know and it was a partisan at one point himself you know just letting them pass and and letting them kind of pass away um was just you know it, it was just that kind of you know a lot of times movies romanticize war and this mm. one really kind of you know in, in some ways through a fictional story really kind of showed the grittiness of it and and the reality of it and and just in, in kind of a what-if scenario so for me this was just kind of this one always stuck with me because the first time I saw it it, it freaked me out because I'm like whoa this you know could this really happen you know that it, it was like that that sort of thing was kind of running through my head after I watched it and it was mm-hmm. it was just kind of a, a shocker for me so but I thought it was well done and I, and I thought you know as I've watched Watched it on TV because it'll be on every once in a while, and, and I'll rewatch it again. There, there's just it's one of those movies that you know if I sit down and watch it, I'll just get locked into it and watch it through to the end because it just I, I just think it's a great it's a really well done movie. So, so anyways, Red Dawn. It's a good one. Nice. I feel that way about Apocalypse Now. Mm. Um, yes. I, feel, I, I had the same feeling like the first time I watched it, and I, I can just sit, if it's on, I'm gonna sit down and watch it. But yeah, yeah. I don't want to I don't want to get into that because that's a totally different uh, year, but. That's how I feel. Yeah. With but that's another one because I watched it when Todd when Todd and I lived together. I remember you you rented it one night or we watched it or something. And when we saw that ending, I was like, yeah. that freaked me out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. good yeah, Lord. And they're both they're both products of unique products of their time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Apocalypse yeah. Now, like right at the end of the Vietnam War, Red yeah. Dawn, when I mean, we grew up literally thinking the world could end at any given moment mm-hmm. you know because what was yep. it the movie the day after was on tv you know about mm. nuclear apocalypse and you know it was yeah. all the just you're constantly thinking like there's this is probably how the world is going to end we're all going to be vaporized or there's going to be a world war three or something like that so yeah seeing this like that school scene just that was a, that was the one that tweaked me out when i first watched it. i'm like oh my gosh what's going on and just like all the the teachers gets gunned down and then all of a sudden they just start mowing down all the kids in the school too right right I think I I can't think of the scene that you guys are talking about, but it's reminding me of the scene from the Terminator. um, And it was, I don't know if it was the first Terminator, but the scene where Linda Hamilton is watching the kids through the playground and then everything just gets vaporized. That scene, it just like dropped into my gut watching that because that Mm -hmm. could happen. You know what I mean? And just the idea that we could be wiped out that way. Yeah. 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 I understand the feeling. Yeah. That was, uh, that was Terminator 2. And that's actually been pointed. That's actually been pointed out as like one of the most realistic mm-hmm. depictions of a nuclear blast yep. in film. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Like that's that's probably what it would look like. And that's that makes it even more terrifying because it's like, yeah. oh, I thought they were taking artistic license. Nope, that's how it would work. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That that's when just that's rocked what, me to sleep. So so scary. That's what I love yeah. about Apocalypse Now though, too, because like you said, Tim, they weren't romanticizing war. They were showing these boys. I mean, these like eighteen year old mm-hmm. boys 
dealing with this massive death all around them and yeah. and how and then the juxtaposition of this older general and how it went to his brain too it, yeah so i yeah. i love the idea i love war movies and i i hate it when they romanticize war yeah. um, that's why mm-hmm. i love apocalypse now anyway that's off the and the and the thread that's connecting both of those john melius who mm. wrote the original script for Apocalypse Now and wrote the script and directed Red Dawn. Ah. Look at you. Look at you. I didn't Very nice. Know hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a John Melius fan. Uh, he's, he is, he's a problematic figure, as most everybody is sure. in Hollywood at some point, <laughs> but, but he's, he's a, also an t- incredibly interesting character. So at number three, I'm going to uh, tag along on to Tim's number four, uh, Terminator, which to me, the thing that I focus on with this is James Cameron as a director, just to me, is for whatever faults and stuff that you might want to put up for him in different things, all of his movies just seem to hold up so well decades afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, looking at this movie, yeah, there's a couple parts where you're like, okay, that's a little meh with the effects. But even when he made this this movie, it was a low-budget movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was not like a blockbuster budget that he had. He had actually a fairly small budget to make this movie. And, you know, in a Robert Rodriguez sort of way, like, made it look exponentially bigger Mm -hmm. through through the way he made it. Like, Aliens. Still, to this day, the effects on that hold up so well. It just looks real. You know, yeah. and even even like you get into Avatar, which eh, is a, it is what it is, but it still looks glorious, and mm-hmm. that's with well, you know, effects that are now. Yeah, yeah, but even even when you consider how far effects have come now, like he just seems to have this way to make it, like the the effects age well. Mm-hmm. You know, like what he does, it's not. I, I don't know. How, I don't know how he does it or how to describe it, but it just it always seems to like years later. You can watch it. You're like. Yeah, a few little things here and there, like references are dated, but <laughs> movie still looks really good, mm-hmm. <laughs> really good well, visually. And, and 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 he sets a tone. You know, what I mean, like mm. I I didn't. I, I'm realizing my my articulation was poor when I was talking about it, but the 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 tone he sets. Like I, I think about the end of the movie as she drives off, and there's just this mm. like really. <laughs> You know, just um, how do I say it? Not not horrific looking, but the clouds just look hopeless. You know, like yeah. everything looks hopeless as she's just kind of driving off. You know, and um, and just the relentlessness of 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 the machine. You know, and and just mm. really kind of translating that tone in in the movie. I mean, it, it it just like you said, it holds up. You know, like it, it's not like you watch it now and it's not as menacing as when you first saw it. I mean, it's it's just this relentless is the only word I keep coming to. It just it, like that's what I felt like the tone he said was, was was and was done very well. Yeah, I think it's I think that's a perfect word for it. Works for yeah. me. No hope. Uh, that's how I felt. Yeah. Yeah. It's a common theme here for the 80s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cold War. <laughs> so much for that optimism of the '60s. We got that beaten out of us in the '70s. Well, We're a little and, more cautious now. And and just jumping back to Red Dawn, I I, I think Red Dawn was redone mid 2010s. I think. Mm. Yeah, that was the weird one. Where wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it Chris Hemsworth was in it? I think it was Chris Hemsworth. He was. He he actually filmed. It was filmed before. I think he was Thor. Mm-hmm. And but yet it was released like years after it was actually completed. Yeah, and and it didn't do as well because like like no. to your, back to your point about these things being kind of a product of their time and a product of what's going on at that time. I I just uh, that story just doesn't hold the same water now. You know what I mean? It it mm-hmm. doesn't resonate the same way, or at mm-hmm. least 
you know, this new version that they did. I, I can go back and watch the old version. And for me, being a product from that time, I think I can still connect, you know, and, and still have the same kind of emotional reaction to it. Whereas if my sons were to watch it, you know, from 84, I don't know that they would connect with it the same way because it's, yeah. it's just a different time, you know? Mm. Yeah. That'd be interesting to find out. I mean, not necessarily to, you know, traumatize hey, your children. Hey, boys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, boys, watch a movie and then tell me what you think. <laughs> We're going to watch Apocalypse Now and Red Dawn back to back. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, my God. <laughs> and when you get to college, you're going to wear lots of black and smoke a lot and just <laughs> drink oh, coffee gosh. constantly. It's going to be such a nihilist at that point. It's going to be funny. Yes. You're going to be writing yep. dark poetry. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> Oh. oh my gosh! All right, well, uh, so let's let's get out of the the realness here. Uh, <laughs> save us, Mel, with your with your number two uh, pick here. I'm like, let's go from the Cold War into Splash, the mermaid movie. <laughs> <laughs> it works for me. You I'm know, good. I mean, uh, come on, Splash. Daryl Hannah, she that she's another one like Michael Douglas. Daryl Hannah was over all over everything in the 80s. And mm. As a child, I loved her so much, and I'm starting to realize I didn't realize this when I wrote my list, but now that I'm looking back at it. My parents didn't do a very good job. Like, I shouldn't have been able to see this movie. It was really risque. I was eight years old. I saw all the movies that I have on my list, I saw in 84. So, wow. Yeah, I didn't see them later. And Tim, you keep, you're like, I love this movie. It's on my list, but I saw it much, much right. later. And I'm like, no, I watched, I watched all of this in 84. I mean, I watched Splash on repeat. I remember the lobster scene. And like her eating the lot, like the shells and I, and you know, being from New England, I was just like blown away at how they did that in a movie because mm. it just didn't seem possible to me. But, you know, um, I don't know. How can you not love Splash? And I, the whole fantastical nature of it, the idea of this woman just walking out of the ocean, I, I just, it blew me away. It still blows me away, but it was pretty risque for an eight year old, I think. It was like, it was all, everything was sex. It was like the underlying underpinnings of the movie. It was all sex. It was Tom Hanks lusting after a mermaid and then her being the sexiest version of a human being she could be for yeah. a man. And I just, I can't believe they let me watch it. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, Nightmare on Elm Street, Romancing the Stone, Splash, Night, I mean, Footloose. It's all about like the things you're not supposed to be able to do. Yeah. And that was my well, childhood, I guess. Well, we've talked, I think we've talked about it before in different, or I've, I've definitely talked about it with people. Like when you're looking back at like movies from the 80s, mm -hmm. before they had like the differ, the differentiation between PG and PG-13, mm -hmm. you got to give it a second look. Like if you're going to watch it with your kids, you got to make sure you think about it for a moment because PG back then was a very wide swath yeah, for of, sure. of, of territory. And, yeah. and man, there's a big difference. And even then, like I... I'd, same thing like I used to watch whatever and now I think about it like I was watching um gosh what was it like the dark crystal or something mm -hmm. and I was gonna yep. watch that with my daughter I'm like actually wait a minute this might not be a good idea I watched this as a kid and I t well actually maybe this explains a lot of things <laughs> I mean and it may not even be overt I just like movies like splash and movies like romancing the stone there's the there's sexual innuendo so you may not even understand mm. it as a kid but it starts to get into your brain and all the adults understand it and they're laughing under their breath but yeah. as you get older you start to realize what they're laughing about and you realize that was all that went into your head when you were eight years old, or at least my head. So sure. I had very 
very very specific ideas of like what a woman should look like, which is why. Well, I'll mm. get to it next. It's the next one on my list. It's, it's the juxtaposition of Splash, basically. But um, yeah, so y- you have these in Footloose. The the main the main female character was this like epitome of woman, you know, and she was the thing that Kevin Bacon wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street, same thing with Romancing the Stone. And so for me, my list is really about women that weren't totally empowered, and but then they became empowered in the movie. And Splash, mm-hmm. even though she was totally sexualized, she did find her strength and her power in the movie. And so that's why it sort of speaks to me. But yeah, I'm not sure they should have let me watch these movies now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm like a filmmaker who makes really like when I w- when I actually was like working in Hollywood, I always got picked to write the edgy scripts or the sexy scripts. So I guess that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, you didn't even mention like so Daryl Hannah, you know, a pillar uh, of the yeah. 80s. Tom Hanks. Yeah. I mean, because mm-hmm. it. I mean, even though, I mean, I, I don't know how many movies he'd been in at this point, but he'd already like been done Bosom Buddies. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Because, I mean, yeah, they just churn them out. I was, they were I was probably watching... in production for Big. I don't remember what year Big came out, but that was a huge influence on me, too. Tom Hanks just, yeah, he influenced. I want to say that was like 88. I was like later 80s, I think. Yeah, maybe. I'm, I could totally be wrong. But I just, I, I, this is a total sidetrack, but I just read the other day that uh, Eric Roberts, was uh-huh. in 35 movies that were released mm-hmm. in 2020. What? Yeah. Dude has oh, almost holy. 600 film credits as an actor. I'm like, does he know what the word no means? Eric Roberts will do anything. <laughs> He'll show up for a bus fare and like yeah. a sandwich. He's like That's an it. extra in the background and speed. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> he might be. Like, he I'm might like, be. But yeah, he might be. <laughs> I'll buy it. <laughs> this is crazy, but yeah, I mean, some some actors just you look at their credits, you're like, oh my gosh, you were in everything, like, and yet everything. his sister is still more popular than him. Yeah, is it his I sister? Mean, is Julia his sister? Or is yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah, yeah. his younger yeah. sister. If yeah, I'm right. Which I mean, there's different reasons, and apparently Eric isn't exactly the the easiest person to get along with. I've from various, which is amazing stories. because he's done so many movies, people keep hiring him. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't quite get that one, but anyway. Uh, so, Tim, what do you got sitting at number two? Uh, my number two, uh, and I actually did see this one in 1984. <laughs> hey! Hey! hey, hey oh. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, is the Karate Kid. Uh, this one, uh, in, in in some ways, a, a Rocky-ish kind of story mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Of, of a teenager. Um, and, and what was interesting to me was, and what I really enjoyed about it, was was the, the relationship between, uh, or, or the budding relationship that, that happened between uh, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel. And, you know, having a kid who is, you know, not that I ever lived this, but, you know, thinking about moving from what he knew to a new place and, and you know not having a father and yet having uh, of all people this this janitor of of their building you know kind of be this father figure for him over time and and teach him you know his family karate and and you know get him into this sort of situation at the end where you know it's really kind of a test of his confidence and and who he is and and who he's growing to be was just such a great story you know i mean we, we actually uh watched these three well this and then the uh, the two sequels with uh my sister's family a couple months ago we as part of our friday evening viewing we, we went through and watched these again gotta say uh didn't realize the movie was so long it was like two and a half hours or something. yeah it's insane how long <laughs> it is um i'm like you know we're, we start watching it at seven at night and then like it's 9 30 and it's just wrapping up 
<laughs> it's like what happened? Um, but no, just just a great movie, and uh, you know, it's 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 a product of the eighties. It's it's got its uh, you know kind of cheesy moments in there. With um, you know, I, I always love at the end when when Johnny has been vanquished and and his his teacher Crease kind of jumps up in the crowd and pretends he's going to slap a guy, but doesn't. It's just kind of like would that really happen? <laughs> you know, but it was just I mean, like, in the eighties, it might have. Well, maybe, maybe. Yeah, but, yeah true. It, it yeah. was just funny, but but it's been interesting too. Uh, you know, of course, the, the the present day link is is the the popularity of Cobra Kai now, which is uh, yeah, which we're kind of working our way through as a family, which has been fun. So, but anyway, so just just uh, a representative kind of rockyish sort of film from from the eighties. Uh, it's a good one. I like it. Which also was directed by John Avelson, who is the director of Rocky, which kind of makes mm-hmm. sense when it, when you get down there to you it. Go. Yeah. There you go. I, which I did not know. Apparently, and so the really funny thing is, if you look up John Avelson on IMDb, so it says John Avelson, the director of Karate Kid Three, Rocky, and Rocky Five. I'm like, you're not going to put the Karate Kid One in there. You're going to put Karate Kid Three. <laughs> like, what did John do to you? Like, come on now, <laughs> Karate Kid One. Not. We don't care about Three. Does anybody care about Three? Like, I don't even think Dan. Whoever. And, uh, uh, what's oh, that? Sorry, Ralph Macchio. He doesn't even care about. <laughs> oh no. Go ahead. No, no. I'm just ranting. No, no, I, I was going to say one thing to throw, when you were talking about John Avelson being the director, one other thing to throw in is, I, I didn't realize this, but apparently Pat Morita was nominated for an Oscar. For Karate Kid? For Karate Kid, Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Get out. I had no idea. I had no idea either. He didn't win? Huh. Uh, he didn't win, he didn't win but he was nominated. So, <laughs> very interesting. He was robbed. Very I don't know who he was up against, but he was robbed. I mean, we were robbed, I think, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> If nothing else, it should have been a Lifetime Achievement Award between that and um, his roles, the, like the five different characters he played on MASH. Yeah. <laughs> That's just my contention. <laughs> That's just because I've watched way too much MASH in my life as well. Oh, that was on heavy rotation at uh, Lilac Lane, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tim watched way too much MASH <laughs> as far as he's concerned. It's, it's embedded in his brain now. Get home now. from work. MASH is on. <laughs> No matter wow. the time, no matter the day, I, mean, I was I was like a bloodhound for that show. I could find it anywhere. Wow. Uh, well, for for me at the second spot, I have Beverly Hills Cop because I mean, <laughs> this is like peak Eddie Murphy, mm-hmm. and I love the fact that it started out as just like a straight arrow like action flick and then you get eddie murphy and like well i guess it's a comedy now (laughs) because (laughs) it's gotta be you don't have like the funniest human being on the planet right now in the movie and not and not have some chuckles so uh, but oh my gosh just a great movie i mean come on you've got uh you got him you got what paul riser in it for like five whole minutes i think and (laughs) judge reinhold and um uh, john ashton is taggart i mean come on and that's before you even get into, um, oh my gosh, what's his name? The guy, Bronson Pinchot as Serge. Oh my God, Bronson Pinchot. I mean, just so much depth in this whole thing. It was just a great flick and actually managed to walk the line between having some having some decent action sequences along with a lot of really funny stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean that whole opening, the whole opening thing where he's he's in the back of the of the semi truck with the cigarettes, and then they're doing the chase, <laughs> and he's like hanging out in the back of the truck. 
still kind of holds up. I, I, I dig it, but I, I just, I, I, it's such a great, kind of the, to me, like the birth of kind of that action comedy sort of thing that you then end the up getting The buddy comedy like, action, yeah. 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 yeah, and then you end up getting like, you know, Bad Boys and The Rock eventually and a whole bunch of other movies that we, we all really love. And we should all thank Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I wake up every day and thank Eddie Murphy. So, well, that's good. I'm sure. I'm sure he really appreciates that. Yeah. Especially when he gets that first Pluto Nash mention of the of the day when he's just like, Here she comes. Movie. Here she Come comes. <laughs> I've recorded raw and delirious. Come on. I was on Saturday Night Live when I was like 17. And you're gonna give me Pluto Nash. Oh. All right, Mel. So here it is the moment of truth. What is your top flick from in 1984? I kind of feel bad because we've covered it twice already, but Terminator, um, it kind of changed my life. It was one of the movies that really wanted me, made me want to be a, a filmmaker. And again, I saw it when I was eight. Uh, wow. Probably shouldn't have, but there were, <laughs> I, I remember having conversations with my parents about the end of the world and they didn't handle it very well. But uh, yeah, so Terminator. I, I, one of the things that I wanted to go back and touch on that I, that we were talking about before, um, and I can't remember which one of you brought it up, but the special effects of the Terminator, it was groundbreaking. I mean, back then, I don't. I had never seen anything like that. The idea that the prosthetics, the makeup, the I think it was the makeup department for me, not so much the special effects, but the prosthetics that they used and the skin that they used for the Terminator and how they were able mm. to to show us the inside of this robot, it always just blew my mind. It gave me nightmares, but it also just blew my mind. And I thought, this is how you make something in your head become a reality and everybody can watch it. And so for the, it's the Terminator for me will, will be my number one. Yeah. And actually just to tie in what you were, what you brought out, kind of your point about how your list was made up. How do I, the fact that we haven't mentioned Linda Hamilton is a little bit criminal. Oh, uh, you know, I actually yes. I meant to I, I did mention Linda Hamilton, but I think it was I was just talking about the scene. Yeah. One of the reasons why Terminator was so important to me is because it's another it's another movie where Linda Hamilton, where the, the female lead has this change. She starts off as this like weak woman who's just being dragged around basically and told what's happening to her. And by the end of it you know that the rest of whatever this series is going to be is going to be about Linda Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And she is going to take care of the world. This woman's going to take care of the whole world. And so for me, that's another reason why the film spoke to me because, again, I guess I had a theme and I didn't realize it. You know, very strong women who who make that change from being just this, like, sort of side piece, I guess, you know, in the film to to being the powerhouse in the film and owning themselves in the film. So yeah, for me, mm-hmm. Linda Hamilton is what the term. I, when I think of the Terminator, I actually don't even think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I only think of Linda Hamilton. Yeah. So. And, well, and, and that is a great, I, I, I mean, to your point, Mel, that is a great part. And, it, and it's a part that, that, you know, when, when you think about the movie, it always comes back in, in my memory, but like toward the end, I, I think it's when they're in the factory and the robots, you know, pursuing him as he's like slowly getting mm-hmm. torn apart. But that point where, where she goes from that meek Sarah Connor yep. to now she's the one giving Kyle the pep talk, like get up soldier, you know, and yep. she's just like carrying him, And then she, you know, and then she's engaging now the robot and she's get. I mean, just so well done the way they just kind of flip the switch on her character. And it's like, she goes, from being the helpless to to now the warrior exactly mm. 
and then and you know that it's going to be built on that's the thing that i loved about it because i was like oh i have a superhero now like yeah. oh there, there goes grace sorry guys um <laughs> no, she was just you know wanting to get her comments in there but yeah so for sarah like all i wanted after i saw the terminator i wanted the television series about sarah connor i wanted the action figure of sarah connor I wanted movies and like, I, I was happy that they would, you know, they made so many sequels. I just watched the most recent one and she's mm -hmm. in it and she's just, she's even better. She's just this badass, mm -hmm. like in her sixties or however old she is. And she just, she steals every scene still. Nice. nice. Yeah. I have not seen that. It's, but I'm, I'm now probably, I think I know what I'm going to be doing after we finish recording. It's not the greatest. I mean, like there are holes, you know what I mean? And they rely a lot. Yeah. Well, I don't want to tell you too much about it, but they rely a lot on the action. Um, mm -hmm. But the Terminator is a woman and she's kind of a badass. But Linda Hamilton, her character is pretty great. I was really when she walked on the screen, I was like, yes, I'm inside. I just was so excited. I was I was just cheering for her because she's such a badass in this. But yeah, well, the, I can totally understand not seeing Arnold as really kind of the focal point because he he really is the way that i mean you're you're kind of playing a robot yeah. you know so i mean he's almost a, a mobile prop in a lot of i mean he brings he does add to it i mean i'm not trying to just take any you know take anything away from arnold but really the the leads are kind of michael bean and 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 linda hamilton you know those well, and are you know that they characters put they put Arnold in the last one too, the last one, the newest one. And yeah. the thing that bothered me about Arnold and this whole series was that they decided to give him, they made him more human. Mm -hmm. And then he, then the actor, so Arnold then played it up too much. And then it becomes cheesy. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any issues with them making the robot human, but it's the way that they did it. So it, he was like, oh, this is what my fan base likes. I'm going to play these parts up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it became that. And so I don't, yeah, I don't ever think about him when I think about these films. I only think about Sarah. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, nice. our, uh, our number ones here, uh, Tim, are going to be able, we kind of tie this one up. So uh, we will be able to tag team this one. Mm -hmm. Number one for both you and me, Ghostbusters, uh, the top grossing flick of 1984. And uh, not unsurprisingly so. It's, <laughs> it, is, it is one of the greatest comedies ever, for my yeah. money. I, yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, the talent involved, just the timing, everything about it. And I, I love the fact that Bill Murray didn't want to do the flick. It's just another one of those, like, just <laughs> Bill Murray has always kind of been a cranky old man. Even him. when he was a young man, he was mm -hmm. a cranky old man. But uh, so, Tim, what do you got to say about this one? Yeah, this was, uh, this is one of these movies that I watched over and over, like, you know, yeah. recorded off a of TV, you know, paused out the commercials, just, you know, we would run this one. I, I just love this movie. You know, just, just a goofy, uh, a you know, a story about, you know, three goofs, you know, who, who have this idea. Um, well, I mean, I guess Bill Murray's the primary goof, but a goof and two scientists and, uh, and, and just, just the way they kind of carry this out. I mean, when, when you think about the premise of this and how popular it was, I, I just, I, sometimes think like how did this happen because it just seems mm -hmm. like such a strange story to kind of lock into the you know just just the culture of the time and 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 to be just just so amazing but but the story is just so so well done and just the way they kind of build up to the you know to the climax and it's just like you just have to buy into the absurdity of it all you know in in, in some in some way but no just the interaction between the three just you know they, they feel like a cohesive unit you know and then and then when when Winston Zeddemore shows up 
you know, just kind of the, the, that group and, and just what they're going after and trying to do. And, you know, I love we talked about this an episode or two ago, but but I love William Atherton as Walter Peck. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I mean, yep. if he could just play, you know, the 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 stuck up, you know, EPA guy who's just looking for a reason to bust them, you know, it was just it was so funny. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, everything about this was just so well done. Rick Moranis was great as, uh, you know, just just love the constant gag of him locking himself out of his apartment every time yep. he go out in the hallway. And, and you know, Sigourney Weaver, you know, kind of, uh, you know, playing the uh, Dana Barrett and just the the, the demonic Dana barrett you know just uh i i can't say enough good things about it it was fun watching you know we watched it i think last year with our with our kids and and they they enjoyed it you know i mean it's it's kind of a timeless movie um you know i don't know they had the same reaction to it like i had when i first saw it but but it was you know it was still you know they they laughed at the jokes and they they thought it was funny and it just kind of holds up so yeah so this this was my favorite and and this is just when i think 1984 you know this this movie is top of mind so yeah, about I, mean, you, sure. I mean, first of all, Ivan Reitman as a director. Mm. I mean, Ivan freaking Reitman. What else are you going to say? Uh, yeah. You know, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis writing the script. Two of the funnier people mm-hmm. that have that have been in Hollywood, you know, ever. And then you had Bill, Bill Murray in there and just the chemistry and the, the way that those three could just kind of bat stuff around. I mean, some of just even the throwaway lines in this movie are brilliant. Like when they're going down into the library, uh, after, you know, when they, they uh, for the first time, the three of them are going down into the, the basement of the library. And, and Dan Aykroyd's like, listen, you smell that? I get a kick out of that line every <laughs> single time. I'm like, that is gorgeous writing or improv or whatever it was that you're just like, I'm going to throw this in here. And people be like, huh? And then laugh because they're like, did you just hear that? Yeah. Wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Or even like, you know, when they're when they're in the ballroom and he's like, we got to spread out. And Bill Murray's like, yeah, we can do a lot more damage that way. <laughs> you know? That ballroom scene, too. That whole that whole opening is just amazing. I would have yeah. loved yeah. to be on set that day. Yeah. Oh, and, and then when Bill Murray's like, he, he does the tablecloth thing. He's like, I've always wanted to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the flowers are still standing. Everything else fell off. <laughs> well, his entire interaction with Sigourney Weaver, like there, those two characters, those, yes. those are the scenes that I remember. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. I remember the ghost scenes and, you know, the slime and all that stuff. But the scenes where Bill Murray is flirting with Sigourney Weaver are just mm-hmm. priceless. They're so mm-hmm. good. So yeah. good. Yeah. Because on one hand, you're like, Bill Murray is not like the most handsome guy. No, ever. <laughs> but a lot but of the yeah. men in the 80s movies weren't. Think about it. Like, go back yeah, no, and look. Totally. And you're like, wait a minute. Why is this bombshell falling for this like sort of like think about when Harry met Sally? Yeah. yeah. Like, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I guess. <laughs> that's I guess. that's Mel's like, review of that movie. No. No. Personality is like a big thing. But come on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that better be a real good personality. <laughs> yeah. Like with Bill Murray, like just the fact that like just his interaction, you're like, OK, maybe I could kind of understand this. Maybe I will suspend disbelief enough. But at the same time, like, no, there's no way Sigourney Weaver is going to fall for you. Sorry. Well, Sorry, Bill. It ain't happening. Yeah. And and. And, and I love how with the three of them, with, with Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, and Bill Murray, it's like Harold Ramis plays like the straight mm. science guy, you know, almost to a fault perfectly. Yep. Dan Aykroyd is kind of the middle of the road science guy and, and chucklehead. And then you have Bill Murray, who is the chucklehead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah. it, it's just so well done. And and I love that scene when 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 Gozer puts the 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 decision to them about how they're going to die, and they're all like trying to clear out their heads. <laughs> and yeah, and he's like, he's like, I tried to think about the the you know the most harmless thing for my childhood. Yes. <laughs> And, and Bill Murray's react. I mean, I, I just love that scene. It's just, it's so, just so funny. And 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 that's the thing. I mean, you use the word chemistry, Todd, and that's what it was. I mean, there, you just have those movies where everyone is just, you know, just playing off each other perfectly. And and that just seemed to be evident in this movie with the jokes and and with with just the way the scenes played out. It was just, just really, really funny stuff. Yeah, it's timeless. It really is. It is. It's just, su- I mean, such great talent in that movie. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. You, 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 that's and this is why I will even watch Ghostbusters too, even though that is much maligned, and I even by people who are in it, like well, Bill Murray, because well, Bill Murray's grumpy, <laughs> and um, <laughs> but I still enjoy it because the chemistry is still there, and and it was a little bit of a different take on the sequel, and I enjoyed all that, and but it's also kind of why I think the like the the reboot. Reimagine whatever they want to call it, where they basically like, hey, we're gonna do Ghostbusters, except we're just gonna reverse all the sexes of everybody. So mm. the Ghostbusters are now women, and their secretary is now a dude. And go, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, well, you're not. That might work. I mean, as another movie, that might have worked. And, and granted, I haven't seen the movie because, quite honestly, I just. I have no want to see it. <laughs> yeah, if you like Ghostbusters, if Ghostbusters is your number one movie, I wouldn't I wouldn't see it. I liked it because I thought it was funny, but what you just said made the most sense, which is it should have just been its own film. It should have been something completely different. I'm not yeah. sure why they just went with Yeah, they just switched out genders basically, so. Yeah, cuz you're yeah. just you're not going to match the chemistry. I mean cuz there's just like those guys had all worked with each other off and on for a long time and knew each other like you're just you're not going to find that readily today like because the world is just different with how actors and actresses come up and stuff like that so i don't and not to mention you're like those are just generational talents i'll disagree with you a little bit i did see it the women the cast is great and they work really well with each other they're very funny and they all know each other pretty well, so it works. Right. But it's not; it shouldn't be the same movie. I mean, that's what I'm. That, I agree with what you said before. It should have been a different film altogether. They have great chemistry. It's not; it's not the like guy buddy buddy chemistry. It's more. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's they're all women, so it's it's a different kind of chemistry. But the chemistry worked for me. The casting worked for me. They were funny, but I needed something different if they were going to do that. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that would be my only take from it. Well, maybe I will have to break down and watch it if it's streaming on something. I don't think you're going to like it, for. but, you know, maybe. Well, I mean, I think if I it's been long enough now that if I don't have the expectations, maybe I'll be able to kind of look past that. I don't know. Like I said, if, if I'm already paying for it, I might watch it then. Yeah. With enough bourbon, anything is possible. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did I say that out loud? That was you supposed did. to be inner monologue. Sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right, so let's get to our special mentions, and let's just, uh, since there's only two each of these, uh, let's just each run down ours uh, at the same time here. So, Mel, what have you got for your special mentions from 1984? Um, So, Sheena, which is another, it's funny, I have two, like, jungle adventure movies in my list, but Sheena was one of my favorites. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's about this blonde, a little baby blonde girl who gets... um, abandoned in the jungle when she's a baby uh her parents are killed 
And then uh, she's raised by native tribes. And so she becomes this like this woman who can talk to animals. <laughs> anyway, oh. it's uh, it's very overly sexualized again. It's um, starring Tanya Roberts, who was one of the Charlie's Angels. She was in that 70s show. Um, the personal story that I have with it is I was obsessed with the movie Sheena when I was a kid. This is another one that I own on VHS and I saw it the year it came out. When I ended up working in LA, I, uh, Tanya Roberts really loved one of my scripts and she was going to be in one of my films. And so I became very close to her. Um, and then sadly she just died mm. a few weeks ago, actually. Yeah, she oh, was wow. a wonderful woman. Um, and she got her career started, I think, with Charlie's Angels, and then she got sort of pigeonholed as this like blonde bombshell of the 80s, you know what I mean? So I put Sheena on here because it's a crap movie, but it was one of my favorites when I was a kid. Um, and Tanya Roberts has a special place in my heart. I love her very much. But uh, So that's my number two. My number one is Amadeus. And Amadeus, mm. I think, is probably one of the best scripts, films that's ever been made. I put it in my special mentions because I, I love the film. As a film school geek, I sort of have to love the film. It's I think it's a prerequisite. It's an amazing film. It's an amazing cast. But it, do, it doesn't make my top five. But if you haven't seen it, you should see it. And one of the other reasons I put it on the list is because I wanted to give Todd some trivia. Because um, oh, I know nice. you love, oh, I know you love nice. some trivia. So oh, I love have, you, have, have you both seen Amadeus? I have not. I have not either. I'm ashamedly okay. you so. You should check it out. Um, so it's about uh, it's uh, it's about Mozart and um, Salieri and their sort of frenemy rivalry. And it's funny, but <laughs> the lead character was actually the person who wanted to play it so badly was Mark Hamill, which is why I thought it was kind of funny. And he didn't get the wow. part, but he wanted it desperately. And then what was the other? There was one other piece wow. of trivia. Yeah. Oh, this was um, like a filmmaker. We were talking about special effects a lot tonight. One of the things that always sticks out to me about Amadeus is that the whole entire movie, which is an epic period piece, the whole movie was shot without using light bulbs or any modern lighting devices. What? Yeah, check it out. And it's amazing. And it's so, it's shot so well. It's won, I think it won 12 Oscars that year, including Best Picture, including Best Director, Best Supporting. It may have won for cinematography, I can't remember. No artificial light, which in the film industry is completely unheard of. And I have no idea how they did it. But yeah, you should definitely, you should definitely watch it and look up some of the trivia because some of it is is very very interesting that one that one always gets me that trivia piece that's what i have that seems like it would be insanely difficult i wonder if they Uh did that because they were shooting like historic buildings that wouldn't allow that or no i think they were trying i think they were actually trying to make it look like reality and so it's directed by milos foreman and when i say it's epic it's it's like grotesque it's so epic it's it's a beautiful beautiful period piece with thousands of extras and imagine like they make it like the main character um i can't think of who plays the who plays mozart but they're playing the piano like mozart it's it and they do it with no studio lighting i just i can't i can't get over it Check it out. You, you guys need that to watch it. It's crazy. amazing. I know it doesn't sound very interesting. It's about Mozart and Salieri, but it's actually funny. It's so funny and it's so beautiful. You really need to see it. That's all I'm going to say. I think we have some homework, so, Uncle Ted. Tom yep. Hulsey? Yeah, Tom Hulsey. Tom yep, Hulsey? That's right. Hulsey? Okay. Yeah, and so wow. Kenneth Branagh and Mark Hamill both wanted to play the part and neither one of them got it. So, yeah. Wow. I that's, know. I... I 
Luke Skywalker as Mozart. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he could have pulled it off. No, I was going to say Hamill's had himself a pretty good career, but dang, that would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sam, cool. So what do you got for your, your two special mentions? Ah, so for my two special mentions coming back, uh, well, actually I'll start at, at, at number two, uh, bachelor party with, uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, again, didn't see it in 84, but <laughs> when I did see it, <laughs> I would hope not because <laughs> you would have been like six or something, right? How old were you yeah, in 84? Yeah, that, yeah. That, that wouldn't have been good. Um, but nope. yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I saw it later in life uh, as as a mature individual, um, and I'm kidding. Uh, I don't I was think I've say, ever when, been called. When is that? <laughs> I, You're I not a mature individual mature, now. So. Um, <laughs> This movie is just, you know, comedy, obviously, but just, uh, you know, just one goofy, crazy thing after another. Um, you know, this 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 silly story of, of a man in his bachelor party <laughs> before he gets married and the, just the zaniness that his friends have have organized and set up. And, and it even has, you know, kind of the rich snobby guy who's trying to steal the girl away at the last moment. I, I don't know. Whenever this is on and I watch, it's just it's a funny laugh. So <laughs> I just I I. I I had a special mention this one not not top five worthy but but still uh worthy enough to mention because there's there's just some funny comedy in it and and some funny bits and just uh it's 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 a fun watch um my my first one is uh cloak and dagger um i don't know if uh if you remember this one but this uh similar to the last starfighter has that sort of video game you know connection where uh mm-hmm. you know a kid who is uh big into this game cloak and dagger he uh of course ends up with a copy of the game that has some military secrets on it and he becomes kind of enmeshed in this uh this sort of spy uh thing that's going on and uh and and going on uh with that whole thing in the story is is this whole idea that you know he's kind of disconnected from his dad so he imagines it's it's interesting dabney coleman plays his father but he also plays this this kind of romanticized version of his dad uh from from the cloak and dagger game this character called jack flack which 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 I love that name. <laughs> that is pretty good. Jack Flack. So anyways, just 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 again a period piece so to speak if you want to call it that. Um it, it's it, you know it's it's a fun action adventure movie but uh and it has that that video game tie in which which for me back in the day was you know you had me sold if there was a video game in it. So so yeah, so that was my uh my other one. All right, cool. Well, I'm actually I've I've realized I've kind of I kind of mishmashed a few things around here, so I'm going to mix up my my special mentions and surprises here. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go with a number two of my surprises. I mean, uh, special mentions as the Last Starfighter, which we've Tim has covered quite well. Uh, again, was just one of those movies where, when you're a kid, thinking like, oh, if I play this video game really well, I'm going to get to actually fly in a real starfighter. Like, you know, still to this day, I've, I I'm hesitant to rewatch that movie. Because I I don't want to like I don't want to see the strings holding the little starfighter as it cruises across the screen or anything like that. I kind of want it the romanticized version of it that's in my head still. Mm-hmm. I just want that to live on forever. But I just remember so much of that movie just kind of hitting me as a as a kid, being like, "That's so cool! Mm-hmm. I want that to be me! I want that to be me!" But yeah, that was me. And then uh, my number one uh, special mention would have been Red Dawn, which again we have covered uh, John Milius movie and. Uh, uh, traumatizing, uh, but also really well made, and and but also a complete, you know, complete creature of its time. Um, yeah. It yeah. Wait, Todd, it can I in, can I interrupt you really quick? I think you're yeah. going from the wrong list. 
I know. I I miss. I I kind of. I I created the time. I created the outline, and I completely okay. I just wanted to make out. sure that because I didn't want you to to like get stuck when you get to the next one. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh no, I I get stuck all the time. Anyways, I'm used to it. Uh, so <laughs> you're much so, nicer yeah. than me. I was gonna let him crash and burn. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just didn't. Well, you know, that's... I didn't want you to get down there and be like, oh wait a minute, I've already said this. <laughs> no, I kind of realized that my special mentions were more surprises, and my surprises were Got more it. special okay. mentions. So carry on. I just wanted to. I just wanted to kind of reconcile that now so yeah uh, okay. last starfighter and red dawn would be my special mentions uh aka runners up very nice the top five so uh mel what do you got for some surprises <laughs> from 1984 uh, <laughs> these su- are looking good yeah my surprises okay well i'll start with number three which is breaking uh i was a big break dancer when i was eight and this movie was very inspiring to me and i had many dance parties and I taught the whole neighborhood how to break dance because of this movie. So that one holds a special place in my heart. I put 16 Candles at number two because I, I hate the movie. <laughs> and it bothers me that everyone likes it so much. I'm not a big Molly Ringwald <laughs> fan. And I'm like, why? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. I understand the time frame. I understand, like, you know, it's the 80s. It makes sense. But I've never been connected to that movie. I've never liked it. So that's my number two. My number one is Rhinestone, which we talked about earlier. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, Dolly Parton, where Dolly Dolly Parton is a famous country singer and she is looking for to spice up her act. And so she finds Sylvester Stallone, who's this like tough talking Italian dude who has not a bone of rhythm in his body and can't <laughs> sing. And she teaches him how to sing and she puts him in like a sequined Elvis costume and turns him into a country singer and they fall in love. And so how can you not add that to the list? That's that sounds like such an '80s plot. It's, it's horrible. Just... It's so bad. It's so bad. No, it, it's trash. If, if you said he was an Italian from Philadelphia, I, I would be suspect. But you know, they they well they specifically bring a he has this like hey oh you know like kind of oh, thing geez. like they they use it. I know it's horrible. It's horrible. Oh, it's it's right after like staying alive. I mean, obviously after Rocky, but he's just like. He's not funny, and he's supposed to be. His character's supposed to be funny. The movie's supposed to be funny. It's so painful to watch. It's so painful. <laughs> and I love it so much. I no, love it's it. Actually, they, it's, they take him it's to a, a ranch. Rocky movie. Yeah, they take him to a ranch, and they teach him how to be a cowboy. It's it's amazing. Oh, nice. And horrible. And of, cor- of course there's a training sequence in it if Sylvester Stallone's in it. <laughs> yeah, there's a montage. There's a montage the of training. Of, of course, the there training is. montage. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. So anyway, nice. it's absolute trash, but I love it. Awesome. Great. I, you know what? I love that you. That's that is really great that you have one movie that was inspiring, one movie you hate, and then one movie you're like, it's trash, but yeah. it's on the list. <laughs> that's I love that. That's that's a nice diverse list right there. <laughs> what do you got, Tim? Uh, so my my number three uh, under surprises. Uh, I only picked this one because I just remember. <laughs> oh my god! I just saw it. Oh my god! Okay, let's hear it. I, I just remember seeing this in the TV guide all the time. Like, and I'm like, what is this? So I use this as an opportunity to educate myself. And the movie would be uh, Chud C H U D. God, I I don't know exactly what. Uh, oh wait a minute, if I click on the movie poster i think it'll uh, explain oh let's see cannibalistic humanoid underground dwell there we yep, go that's I've, what it means i've learned everything <laughs> no, wait, i need it, to know it, i don't want to um, look this up now does the movie poster uh, is this the one where the thing is coming out of the toilet or something no, it's it's out coming, of the sewer the sewer same thing yeah oh, out of the yeah. sewer okay all right yeah. all right 
Interestingly enough, uh, John Hurd and Daniel Stern have top billing on this one. <laughs> John Hurd. <laughs> oh. Daniel Stern's character is referred to as the Reverend, <laughs> which, which I like. So, wow. And then in the uh, trivia section, it says one of John Goodman's first movie appearances. He plays a uh, cop what? in the diner. Yes. Wow. Yes. So I just picked this one because I saw the title. I'm like, wait a minute. I remember seeing this like all the time in TV Guide. It's like, I don't know why they played it as much as they did, but. It must have been real cheap to, to like get on to get a contract to play this one. <laughs> Apparently so. Apparently so. And then uh, my, my second one um, shouldn't be a surprise given its title. <laughs> Yeah. I, guess I'm, I guess I'm glad someone checked off that box that year, was, which is let's make, uh, you know, George Orwell's 1984 in 1984. Um, oh and uh, what I find just interesting looking at the movie poster is so John Hurt is the lead on this one. And I love the big V uh, on the movie poster <laughs> because he would later play the George Orwell-esque villain in V, v for Vendetta. Vendetta, so. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Typecasting. Oh, gotta love it. <laughs> gotta love it. So, anyways, uh, that's really the only reason I picked that was just you know cruel irony and uh, and the fact that it was the namesake of the year we're looking at. Uh, and then the last one I picked for a surprise. Uh, just now, I actually <laughs> I hate to admit this. I haven't seen this movie end to end. I've seen parts of it. One of the parts that I really enjoyed though was the uh, was basically this bookstore scene, which I believe was completely filmed in reverse, if I remember. Have you guys? seen this or like Peter I haven't Cushing seen Top Secret no, yeah, I haven't, I haven't either. So Val Kilmer and uh, I'm trying to see uh, Lucy Gutteridge, uh, they are top billing on this one. They they basically enter into this in this scene. They enter into this uh, bookstore and you can kind of tell something is a little off when, as they walk through and everything. And apparently from what I read, they filmed this with them walking backwards. So it's almost like you're playing it for like if you played a record backwards and you could actually make out the song because the song was written backwards that's kind of what they did with this it was just kind of a goofy gimmick they did it's supposed to be kind of like a airplane or or um what's the one that uh uh, Nielsen was in. I'm trying to think. Um, the, oh, the Naked Gun. The Naked Gun. Yeah. It's supposed to be like that. It's just supposed to be, yeah. you know, sort of mad. It's like a parody of everything, yes. sort of thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, but th but this one, uh, I thought Peter Cushing being in it was interesting uh, from Star Wars. Uh, ah. I, I know he's had a career outside of Star Wars, but Peter Cushing will always be Grand Moff Tarkin in my mind. So, yeah. And then we have Val Kilmer, uh, a, a young young boyish looking Val Kilmer so mm. so that is my uh, th those are my three surprises Top Secret 1984 and Chud and again a, a very diverse list once we get down to these surprises <laughs> like the, the just a very wide it's no wand to the wicked warden I will grant you that but uh, you, know. you know and thank goodness for that <laughs> you're you're a much more upright citizen than I am I try uh, for myself uh, so number three uh, let's go with uh, Cannonball Run 2, shall we? Because <laughs> two. Cannonball you know Run 2. two. <laughs> I, I love me some Cannonball Run, and I've, I love Cannonball Run 2 as well. I mean, come on. Burt uh, Bert Reynolds and Dom DeLuise, I'm in. Just right there, I'm in. Whatever the movie it is, whatever the premise it is, I'm in. And, uh, of course, you know, then you have Hal Needham, who's, you know, basically like, hey, if, you know, Burt Reynolds is in it, there's a good chance at a certain period that 
Hal Needham directed it because they were buddies, and that's just what Hal Needham did. He just directed Burt Reynolds, and then I don't think he directed anything else except Burt Reynolds' <laughs> movies. But it was very good to him when you think about it. But just a, one of those one of those comedies that they don't really. I don't know if they make these. Well, actually, yeah, they do. I mean, it was a gigantic ensemble of just like people having these bit parts, and I just oh, I just love these movies. Just love them. They're, I mean, it's such like cinematic junk food. It really is. It's like just eating like raisinets after raisinets after raisinets and then topping it off with like some gummy bears. Like you're going to feel horrible about yourself in the morning, but you're like, oh, it's worth it. Um, <laughs> and that should have been on a movie poster, quite frankly, I think. Is this during um, so uh, Burt Reynolds' uh, v, uh, you know, car, car chase uh, phase? Oh, totally. <laughs> Which is like 50% of his career, really. Um <laughs> <laughs> Which is also why Burt Reynolds was a grumpy old man as well. <laughs> wow, we're discovering all the secrets. Uh, so then uh, number two is The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth wow. Dimension. And I just want to read the description or the synopsis of this movie. Adventurer, brain surgeon, rock musician Buckaroo Banzai and his crime-fighting team, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, must stop evil alien invaders from the Eighth Dimension who are planning to conquer Earth. That is this movie in a nutshell, and that does not even come close to describing just how bat-spit-insane this movie is, and I love it dearly. It is just so absolutely crazy. It defies description. Just defies description. You have to All see right. it. You, you, you have John Lithgow, Jeff Goldblum, and Christopher Lloyd. I'm sold. And, and I have don't never forget. heard of this film. I have no idea. I've never even heard of it. I'm going to have to look it up. Don't forget, you've also got Peter Weller playing Buckaroo Banzai. Nice. Now, the the other part of this is, so I'm, I'm going to guess, uh, Mel, that you are a fan of The Life Aquatic. I'm not. No, actually not really? at all. Mm-mm, no, oh, I can't okay. stand those style of movies. I'm not a big um, like Wes Anderson kind of film. Oh, okay. Nope. Well, but at the, at the end of that movie where everybody shows up on the dock and they all kind of walk into the, the frame as they're mm-hmm. just walking mm-hmm. and then they, they have their credit come up, that I think came from the end of this movie because that was how <laughs> the end of this movie ended. And that it was just them like, <laughs> it was just them walking in like the LA River or whatever yeah. that, you know, where, where Terminator 2 it yeah. all comes together but that was like the the gig with the end of this movie is like all of a sudden they're just hanging out like oh hey i'll just walk into frame now and you know this is this person but it's it is just absolutely crazy but it is a, such a great crazy you just have to see it i i cannot do justice to it here um and then my my uh, top surprise is the razor's edge which is uh the movie that bill murray made ghostbusters in order to make so he wanted to make this kind of philosophical sort of thing of this guy who was disillusioned in World War I and then went off to uh, Nepal, I think, and, and just kind of this very kind of highbrow-ish, high-concept movie and couldn't get anyone to finance it. And then he said, okay, well, I'll be in Ghostbusters if you'll finance this. And the way he tells the story is like, I had a caterer for the Razor's Edge by that afternoon. Wow. And so that's the reason why he the big reason why he made ghostbusters is so he could make the razor's edge so it's 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 a very good movie and of course you know anytime you have someone like bill murray playing kind of like a non-comedic role it's very interesting so uh, it's it's worth watching if only for that okay so the question now is nice 1984 do you think it was the greatest year in cinema <sighs> do you want me to go first yes please 
I don't know if it was the greatest year in cinema. I think it was one of the most colorful years in cinema. I think a lot of good comedies, a lot of good characters. Um, we started seeing some pretty amazing special effects. I think a lot of big things happened in 84, but from a storyteller perspective, I don't think it's the most amazing year. That's my take. Tim, what do you think? Uh, I kind of feel like it, it, like, I feel like it is, but I'm also wondering if it's, you know, one of those things you, you, you romanticize a particular time, you know, and, mm-hmm. and think that, um, I feel like the eighties as a whole produced a lot of really, really amazing content. And, you know, even today, I don't know that some of, you know, the movies we see now, you know, can, can hold a candle in terms of, of at least like, like I'm trying to think of like how Ghostbusters just rippled through culture. You know what I mean? Like mm. it, it, yeah. it, it wasn't just that it was popular and made a lot of money. It was just like everywhere for a really long period of time, you know, and it was mm-hmm. really incredible. Like, you know, Beverly Hills Cop was the same. The Terminator. I mean, there, there's just like, like, I don't know what the right term is. I don't know if foundational is the right term, but there's just a lot of these movies that you point back and say that was just a classic, you know. You know, and, and it all comes from, you know, a lot of them come from from this year. There, there's a lot we haven't talked about, you know, like if you look at 85 or there's like Back to the Future and I'm sure there's, you know, a lot of other really good, you know, movies, 86 as well. You know, to say it is the best, I, you know, it feels like it. But again, I don't know if I'm just, you know, a little bit blinded by looking back and, and kind of fondly re- recalling, you know, the, these sorts of films and, you know, especially the ones that I did see, which I think was like two of them, but <laughs> 84. <laughs> Um, but you know just uh, you know just I just remember it being just a special time and just like those movies always felt like there was a quality to them and and that they were just so good but um, but but that's me Um, so yeah so I I, I would say uh, yes best year all right I actually went into this entire exercise very firmly against like no 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 it's you know all and for some of the reasons y'all have said is you know oh no you're romanticizing a certain period of time and you know there's it's this it's that but looking at this like yeah to me it's not it's not so much like you uh, to relate it to like a sports team like you have that one incredibly talented person and then you have some role players and all that but it they're a great team because like you know you have Michael Jordan okay great you have michael jordan and then yeah scotty pippen was great but eh, after that you start going down there and then it's like okay yeah this, this was just like a really deep year yeah like, i mean just looking at all these like my gosh terminator ghostbusters karate kid uh you know then you get into amadeus and all of the the acclaim that that movie won and and, and, and you know stuff that just kind of resonates just almost kind of in a uh, you know cult films like like this is spinal tap and you know the adventures of buckaroo bonsai which actually does have a a fairly vehement cult following <laughs> Believe it or not, I, I'm, I assure you. But then you even get to like the John Hughes stuff, like Sixteen Candles. Like, oh my gosh, there's so many. Someone actually gave me a copy of Sixteen Candles, uh, gave me a DVD of it. They're like, you have to watch this. And because of that, I have not watched it because I'm just that contrarian. But I mean, all of this stuff just kind of comes together. And it's like there is just so much that came out this year. It's like everything just kind of came together. Yeah. And I'm, I might not be on the verge of saying like, yes, put a stamp on it. This is the greatest. But man. I'm a lot closer than I was before going into this. That's my thought. Agreed. And what is that really worth? (laughs) (laughs) And another thing. Yeah!
All right, sir. Uh, Mr. Tim, what you got for another thing this week? Uh, my and another thing. Uh, last two, uh, I shouldn't say last two Sundays, because last two Sundays I've been recording with you, my friend. Uh, <laughs> the following Monday. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to mess up your TV viewing. That's okay. That's all right. With, with uh, our weird little podcasts that we do. That's all right. The last couple uh, Mondays, I've been watching uh, A&E is having a biography series on, uh, eight-part series on the WWE legends uh, spanning careers of uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Roddy Piper, Booker T, Randy Savage, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Ultimate Warrior, and how can we forget Mick Foley, who our esteemed mm-hmm. Uncle Todd met and got a little, uh, you know, recording from him to support the show, which we appreciate. Yep. Uh, so, uh, you know, just recommending it just because biography as a whole, if you ever watch any biography, they, they do a great job. Um, what I've really enjoyed so far with, with the first two, which is the Steve Austin, Roddy Piper one, is is the view into their, you know, just a view into their lives and, and realizing... Um, you know, just like with Roddy Piper, it was really interesting to kind of understand his background and how, you know, he just traveled from place to place to place, did not have the best home life. Um, you know, you see kind of how influential he is, and then you, you know, you see how he just kind of disappears from wrestling for a bit, comes back, disappears, comes back, and then eventually has to, you know, retire. Just seeing that journey not being as, how, how do you say it, not, not as glorious or, or as glittery mm. as, as you as think romantic. because he's, he's a celebrity. What was that? Kind of romantic, romanticizing. Yeah, basically, basically. And, and, and I thought they did a really nice job calling that out. I really like with the Steve Austin one how they really called out kind of the price he paid family-wise to be one of the biggest stars of of the 90s you know and into the 2000s and revolutionizing you know the world of wrestling with his character but just the toll that that took on him you know and 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 on his family was you know so so it's not all just you know looking at the bright shiny parts you know what i mean they're 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 bringing out you know these these other pieces and you realize the human behind the character and um so I would just recommend it. It's if, if if you're interested in in wrestling and, and want to get to know a little bit more about these different characters and and the people behind them, um, they're doing a really good job. And uh, I think tonight is uh, Randy Savage, so that ought to be an interesting one. Nice. Now, have you found a way to stream these? Is uh, is like because A and E doesn't have its own app that I'm aware of. So Sling TV uh. has A and E as part of it. So and we we can record. So I I record them. And then watch gotcha. them. All right. I've, so I, I, I need haven't to dig deeper it. because yeah. I, I love me some some biography. I know you just, do. I'm, I know you do. You you would enjoy. I've these. got to find a way to do this. <laughs> well, for me, I've uh, I'm gonna relate back to something that we talked about earlier. Uh, there's a documentary uh, again. Me and my documentary geek phase. Uh, there's a documentary on John Milius, uh, imaginatively enough, called Milius. And uh, John Milius is a screenwriter, director, um, and kind of was. Uh, along with like George Lucas and uh, Steven Spielberg, they kind of had this this relationship, the three of them, of like working with each other, talking with each other, and uh, I believe what was it? They, uh, at one point, they traded points on a movie, and I forget what it was. 
I'll have to, you know what? I'll try and find that and put it in the in the show notes. But they actually traded points on on movies because they had uh, they all had movies coming out, and whoever got John's movie did not do nearly as well as the other two did. <laughs> um, go figure. Uh, so, but he's just a really interesting cat. Just his history of growing up and becoming this writer, but also uh, you know not being exactly the easiest person to work for, uh, work with. Uh, but also just having this tendency to be able to write these incredible monologues and things like that. Like they called him in specifically to write stuff for uh, for Sean Connery for um, Hunt for Red October, and he you know does a lot of, has done a lot of that type of work. And man, I, actually, I think he was uh, he actually wrote the USS Indianapolis speech for Jaws. Oh wow! And apparently, like like. The scene was like twice as long, and then they ended up they ended up kind of editing it on set because it was just it was brilliant. But it was like this is going to take like fifteen minutes of screen time. This isn't going to work. But just an incredible writer, and then also have, having gone through some health problems, which actually robbed him of his speech, which was kind of like the big irony because this guy was a raconteur, like he was one of the great talkers of his time, and then to have that taken away from him uh, was was a little bit rough but it's it's a great documentary if you if you enjoy documentaries even if you're not a huge fan of documentaries it is compelling yeah. uh, just this guy's life story so uh, nice. thank you very much mel for being a uh, part of uh, the idiocy we are now coming to the end of our time here together as and we all, always like to uh, bid a fond farewell to the free range idiocy congregation as we like to put it uh we won't be passing the collection plate uh we'll just ask you to subscribe you can find us on podbean spotify um, Apple Podcasts. That's the other one. You know, you know, this is just only three things for me to remember, and I can't. We sincerely hope that you've enjoyed the show, and if you haven't, tough. Go get your own podcast. It's your business, not ours. Uh, Do what Uncle really Todd weird. does. Create three of them. Yeah. It'd be, I'm just thinking about that now. It'd be really weird if someone actually listened to this point and they didn't enjoy the show. Like, they just hate listening to the show at this point. Like, it'd be, it'd be a little odd. It would. Um, but... I, you know, given the state of the world today, it's also understandable. So we, we hope you enjoyed. If not, meh, oh well. Uh, so uh, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on the social medias. We are uh, on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We are on uh, Instagram. All of those are at Free Range Idiocy. And if you have any questions, concerns, outright bribery, which we are not above or below, uh, you can send all of those to Tim at FreeRangeIdiocy.com. That's also a great place to send any complaints that you have because, quite honestly, I don't care. So... <laughs> Now, as we get through this, I'm just in a mood right now. Customer service is is of the highest import here. (laughs) That's why I'm sending them all to you, sir, because me, I'm just like, oh, well, whatever. Go pound sand. And. Jeez, I don't know what it is with me tonight. Maybe what was in this tea that I was drinking? <laughs> um, so uh, now that we come to the end of my portion of the show, which once again everybody is just like, thank goodness this chucklehead's gonna shut his pie hole. <laughs> thank you. Prayers do get answered. Thank you. Oh good um, lord. Maybe he'll be. Maybe he'll go hoarse before the next episode. We can just listen to the sweet dulcet tones of Tim. Um, <laughs> But if uh, oh, now that we're coming Lord. to the end of this time, uh, once again, thank you, Mel, for joining us. We yeah, sincerely it was appreciate so it. So much fun! I'm very happy to be here. Yes, um, thank I you. I love talking about movies. So yeah. Yes, and we will be doing that more. And as soon as we have the those episodes coming up, uh, I'll be sure to completely just plug and annoy people with that as well, <laughs> along with what I normally ah. do. So y'all can look forward to that. <laughs> uh, but I, as I like to do at the end of each episode, I like to think back on everything we talked about, and I like to ask Tim. What the hell did we learn tonight? Anything? Uh, we learned the following. 
good. So, some of these rumors about Marvel and Star Wars. Oof. Oof. <laughs> good Lord. Again, a, 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 great, a great quote. Just Tim Shabbat. Oof. It, I mean, seriously. <laughs> Oof. It's just... Uh, uh, anyways. Uh, you know, tonight we, we discussed... Uh, I think what I, I, I took away, you know, most most interesting to me is is from this year, the number of impactful movies uh, and, and kind of the personal effect they had on us. I thought that was pretty cool and uh, speaks to the time speaks to you know kind of what we were getting at when we were talking about this potentially being the you know one of the greatest years in cinema you know that doesn't happen by accident and and it, it was uh it was fun to, to to talk about everyone's favorites and and surprises and ones that didn't quite make the list but uh you know just just good good movies all around uh we, we learned uncle todd he has honed his movie picking skills so it was good to not have any uh <laughs> You know, hot dog the movie or hard bodies or anything like that. Thank you, sir, for steering clear of, of, of the cruft that was uh, present in 1984. You know, I was tempted just to throw one of those in there just to give you give you a little bit more grist for the mill I going forward. I knew you would, you. But I refrained. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, Uncle Todd and uh, myself, we, we have some homework to do. we got to watch Amadeus, my friend. Yes. Yeah, you need to watch Amadeus. We, we have been assigned sure. some homework. Which brings me to my final point. Uh, thank you, Mel. Uh, as, as Uncle Todd has already said, we want to thank you again for joining us and for bringing some legitimacy to our Tom Fuller. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> so we appreciate it. We need all the help we can get. Thank Believe you, Tim. Me. Thank you, Todd. Believe <laughs> me. I had fun. Absolutely. We did too. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for the downloads this past week. And as we like to wrap things up here on uh, the range, so to speak, be safe, be healthy, be kind, be good to one another. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still getting to fund uh, that, that, that bottle of bourbon that Uncle Todd has won off of me. So uh, please, <laughs> I got to save those pennies. Hit the lights on the way out. It's a major disgrace. Forget MIT or Stanford now. They wouldn't touch us with a 10-meter cattle prod. You're always so concerned about your reputation. Einstein did his best stuff when he was working as a patent clerk. You know how much a patent clerk earns? No. Personally, I like the university. They gave us money and facilities. We didn't have to produce anything. You've never been out of college. You don't know what it's like out there. I've worked in the private sector. They expect results. For whatever reasons, Ray, call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that we were destined to get thrown out of this dump. For what purpose? To go into business for ourselves. This ecto-containment system that Spengler and I have in mind is gonna require a load of bread to capitalize. Where are we gonna get the money? I don't know. I don't know. Like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. I beg your pardon, what did you say? Damn! You are such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. <laughs> Get out. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. Ooh, you can you need to you need to fund like three more propane tanks. Oh wait, you don't grow with propane because you're too good for that. No, I grow with propane. What are you talking about? You do? I, I do. thought you were I thought you were a charcoal oh, guy. Oh no. No no. <laughs> oh well in that propane case, what are you doing? I you know, I thought I thought the real real barbecues you'd use charcoal. Nah. Propane. Ah, the Zarvchar is a false. <laughs> <laughs>
He's a jabroni. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Shiki. I appreciate that. You're, you're welcome. <laughs>